0: Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're going to talk about the relationship between science and faith. And joining me to talk about this, we have Brandon Hurlbert, who is a PhD candidate in Old Testament at Durham University. How's it going, Brandon? Hey,
1: John. Good to see you.
0: And we have joining us Seth Price, who is a PhD candidate in physics at Durham University. How's it going, Seth?
2: Hey, good to be with you today.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us. We're excited to talk about this with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So you're studying physics. What's your journey been like in studying science and doing so as a person of faith?
2: Mm. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a Christian and also a scientist. Um, I've uh, kind of grown up a Christian. Um, my, my parents and my family Christians as well. So I, I've grown up in the church, mm. uh, specifically in the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been great and I've I've had a uh, a, a journey of, of um, getting to understand and know my faith more and understand and know and grow closer to Jesus more and at the same time kind of parallel to that um, I've had a somewhat of a, a journey into science um, I uh, throughout my uh, childhood I think my oh, my, my parents uh, if they were here would tell you in exasperation how frustrating I was as a child in, in all the questions I would ask. Hmm. Uh, I remember asking, we were driving somewhere on a long journey um, in France, I think actually, and m- I would not stop asking questions to my shattered parents and eventually they just snapped and said, stop asking these. They, I mean, they, they're not scientists, they couldn't answer them. Um, but I, the point is, I, I was, I'm, always was and still am um, fascinated by the world and uh, mm. understanding how the world works and how things mm. work, um, that manifested itself at, at school. Uh, I re- loved physics, maths, uh, mm. the sciences. Um, mm. Continued to do them at A level, and and eventually came to Durham to do my uh, undergrad in physics, um, specifically theoretical physics, if if that means anything to anybody mm. listening. Um, and uh, I guess today we're going to talk about the relationship between faith in science and faith in physics perhaps um and uh yeah I've, I've seen a really interesting parallels between my faith and between my understanding of christianity throughout my life and how i've kind of grown to uh, see both of them as intertwined ways of discover more about god uh more about fellow people around me and and um yeah more about life in general
0: would you say that your understanding between the relationship between science and faith is something that has evolved, no pun intended, over the years? Mm. Or is something that uh, you have um, maybe always sort of uh, had a particular approach to the relationship between science and faith? For example, were you somebody who saw them uh, more intention and have come to see them more mm. complementary? What has that journey been like?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because I know... For lots of people, probably possibly lots of your listeners and lots of people uh, around the world that there is a lot of uh, perceived tension between mm-hmm. um, science and their faith, particularly probably between uh, evangelical christians and, and science for me, growing up, I think it might well be because I grew up in the Church of England, which is mm. if, if you know anything about the church of england it 's quite it 's great in lots of ways it 's quite mm-hmm. soft on some things, mm-hmm. uh, and so there was never that um, uh, conflict i was never Kind of told a conflict that I was never mm. given a, a conflict narrative uh, yes. between the two, and so for me, no, uh, there's I haven't encountered in myself uh, much of a tension between mm. my my science, if you like, and my faith. Mm. Um, instead, I, I definitely see them much more. Uh, yeah, I mentioned a second ago as, as kind of parallel modes of understanding the world around me. If that mm. makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I, I'm envious of that because. Um, yeah. I grew up in a more fundamentalist context in this regard where science and faith were at odds. In fact, my science curriculum at, at my my Christian school growing up was answers in Genesis. And, uh. you know, <laughs> for, for our listeners who are um, inclined towards answers in Genesis, that's, um, you know, that's, that's one way of, of, of doing things. Um, my problem with it is that, it was not viewed as one of the only ways or one of the ways of doing it, but rather it was viewed as the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, you know, understand scripture and the world in this particular way, uh, you were undermining faith. You were undermining mm-hmm. Christianity. You were undermining the gospel. And so I grew up with this very antagonistic uh, view of science because the quote-unquote experts were you know claiming things that were not compatible with how we were interpreting scripture and and interpreting the world and so i'm very envious of that Mm -hmm. And i know brandon um you know maybe have had had a similar experience as myself
1: yeah um growing up i had a i had a really similar experience i didn't have answers in genesis but um i think i i always heard uh that there that there was no real um conflict between science and faith it's just that the scientists had really gotten the wrong answers Mm. or they didn't see things how you know how this one scientist kind of articulated it yeah Uh, and so uh, Seth I would love to hear more about what you mean by this conflict narrative because I've heard that Mm. but um, I've just the, the conflict between science and faith was always relegated because science was actually relegated and the the answers we that you know people uh would give were just like oh that's actually not true if you watch this this video it'll yeah. really explain yeah. what's going on and they're perfect you know they there there's no tension mm-hmm. but it it seemed like kind of a false tension or lack of, of tension
2: mm-hmm. a false lack of tension
1: yep there you go <laughs> yeah.
2: Nice. um yeah brandon you mentioned this conflict narrative what an uh, interesting phrase to use um having done being a a, a person of faith a, a christian and a scientist at the same time um you do get fed somewhat from society this conflict narrative in in recent times um, perhaps much more so from the likes of on, on the science side on the you might say the fundamentalist science side so you have people like richard dawkins mm. in the uk and i'm sure americans know about richard dawkins too um and not only richard dawkins many others who who will be uh propelling this idea that there is an inherent conflict between science and uh religion or, or theology or faith and i'm using uh, the here is the listeners can't hear but i'm using um quote marks inverted <laughs> commas around these terms um we haven't properly defined them yet so <laughs> mm-hmm. um uh, i don't want to i guess i wouldn't say Loads about this conflict narrative is except for that it 's completely fabricated in in many ways um, the conflict narrative is is um, sort of revolves around the fact or the idea that science is incompatible with christianity and for example um people will will raise ideas like the church in the middle ages the the uh, oppression and suppression of ideas the church in the middle ages would um you know would uh, enact in order to maintain power in order to or or the things that um you've mentioned both of you uh brandon i think you you spoke about um people wanting to have saying that the scientists were yeah there's no conflict because there's a different way of thinking about things and you know the the way the bible says it is right and and these kind of ideas um the conflict narrative is is was invented in like the the late 1800s before before this time so there was um two authors uh what are their names um white and draper in the late 1800s who wrote very very influential works uh kind of pitting science and religion against each other science and christian faith against each other um that before this time there is no real like record or no way of understanding the world uh in this way so there's no way of uh, there, there was no way of actually um systematically pitting science against religion they were they were two sides of the same kind of coin if that makes sense from from these two authors with these very influential works in the 150 or whatever years since um we have just grown to accept this conflict without kind of questioning it and without saying oh is this is this real is this legitimate and so that's what i'd probably say about this conflict narrative is that it's quite when you start to do some research into it it's quite obviously not true and mm. doesn't really hold any water
0: mm-hmm. Some of the, perhaps most of the resistance is a hermen- hermeneutical one ultimately, right? Um, it mm. boils down to how you read scripture and what sort of questions you think scripture is addressing. And in particular, I'm curious to know your, some of your thoughts as, as a scientist who's a person of faith, as you've wrestled with your own um, understanding of scripture, how, how would mm. you view Genesis 1 to 3, for example? That's
2: a uh, very good and difficult question this uh, of course relates to um how we understand and investigate scripture um mm-hmm. and uh not just as scientists like as as i am but as, as people in general i guess and how we um get to the bottom of what scripture is telling us um i think understanding the 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 more i've grown on this in the bible in the last in the last few years since i came to university pretty much um, including meeting people like Brandon and Logan, who mm-hmm. I also know from from Durham. Mm-hmm. Um, it's understanding how to read scripture better, how to, how like, for example, what, what the Bible itself is. And, mm-hmm. and the Bible is not a science textbook. Right. Um, the Bible is not uh, a way of, it, it does not give you the scientific method. It's not uh, trying mm-hmm. to persuade you of um, scientific, you won't find Einstein's theory of relativity in the Bible. Of course you won't. Right. That's not what it's, Therefore, understanding genre, I think, is one of the main things for me in the Bible, and how genre changes as you go from page to page, chapter to chapter, and book to book, Mm -hmm. um, is very important. Genesis one, absolutely, the the genre of Genesis one is not science textbook. It's Mm -hmm. I I don't see it as that. I don't even hmm, I should be careful, but um, I I guess I don't see it as history. Uh, instead, it's, it's the uh, an attempt by a, an ancient civilization to understand or to make sense of their uh, origin, to make sense of the world around them, which actually is quite a scientific thing to do, to try mm. and uh, yeah. write a story to make sense of the world around you without necessarily trying to describe everything in all accuracy. Mm. Um, but hey, that's not what we scientists do anyway. Like. I'm a theoretician. I make models about the way things work. That means I, I write down mathematics, I write down code on a computer, and I try and simulate how the world works. And does, is everything in my model correct? Is everything in my model true and accurate? No, absolutely not. That's why it's a model. Mm-hmm. And so the the way I that that is somewhat of the way I see uh, Genesis, yeah, one, two, three, which read more like models as. Um, uh, yeah, ways of understanding the world around you that do not necessarily have to have a, a perfect grounding in fact. Mm. Because who has a perfect grounding in fact? Nobody. Mm. Scientists certainly don't. I mm. certainly don't.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think genre is huge. I think um, the way I understand Genesis uh, 1 in particular is uh, really influenced by John Walton. I think for the longest time, um, my hang-up was, was thinking that You know, anybody who read the Bible differently than I did as a, Mm -hmm. you know, younger, six day creationist um, was intentionally manipulating it. And I think when I when I realized that actually a lot of the questions that I thought the text was answering um, as somebody in a answers in Genesis sort of context, that the text wasn't actually addressing those. um, And and that's demonstrable Mm -hmm. by looking at other ancient Near Eastern texts that also have creation stories. That was really eye opening for me and it, it it is situating the text in its ancient historical context and what Walton points out that I think is really helpful is that it seems like what Genesis is more interested in is not ontological origin so like where did these things kind of just um, you know uh, blip onto existence out of out of nothing but rather functionally how did all of this get started so for example when you look at the um, the the waters that are uh separated so that the land could come Mm -hmm. forth um there's not this kind of like you know flip flip of existence of water the water actually is never like explicitly created it's there right and same with the land the land is just brought forth out of the water which that's a really interesting observation because as the text begins the earth was without form and void is tohu babohu right it's it's um it's there, it needs to be organized, and there's this kind of chaotic mess that, yeah. that that God is organizing. I find that very helpful. I do believe in creation ex nihilo, but I don't think that that's exactly what Genesis 1 is trying to um, address, at least not as it proceeds from the initial verse of, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I think um, there's a lot of that organizational, functional sort of um Element to that I don't know what you think about that. I find that very convincing and I don't know, Brandon, um, if you want to jump in on that as our resident Old Testament expert.
1: I also you know kind of we have very similar backgrounds, and yeah, I also came across Walton and I found his his work uh, extremely compelling of mm-hmm. like, oh this is this makes so much more sense, mm-hmm. and you know I mean one of the the interesting things uh, at least when you look at the kind of comparative uh, religion and and look at these other ancient Near Eastern uh, creation uh, accounts is that, um, you know, that all of the, all of the objects um, in the cosmos are named, you know, that the Mm -hmm. sun is named, the moon's named, the stars are named. And in Genesis, they actually, you know, what we would, you know, what we would, think oh you just oh it's the sun it's actually oh the greater light and the lesser mm-hmm. light uh and it still explains the function of them as they they rule and they govern yeah, over right, the day right. but they are in a sense demythologized mm-hmm. um they they are stripped of all of their their you know quote unquote, god power yeah because it's very polemical
0: the mm-hmm, the text
1: yeah. of genesis is very polemical in that regard yeah and and if we think about uh you know the nature of composition and the date of origin of Genesis, uh, though we're not um, we're not certain when that is. Um, at, at any at any point we choose to date it, we can see that there is something, yeah, inherently polemical going on. Is that it seems like the author is trying to make a very countercultural argument mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of saying. No, 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 These things that we see, that we worship, that there are culture around us, mm-hmm. values inherently, mm-hmm. uh, isn't the ultimate source of life and being. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there is a God mm-hmm. who is very personal, mm-hmm. who rests, who mm-hmm. rules, who is a good king, you know, who mm-hmm. creates humans uh, not to... Uh, slave uh, for him um and he doesn't kill them because they get too noisy or loud mm-hmm. uh as other creation myths uh right. say yeah but, but they that they meant to be in uh in a harmonious and loving relationship mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. um god and human and mm-hmm. obviously in genesis 3 we see the that the, the breaking of that relationship mm-hmm. um, But I think that's just so much more of an interesting uh, way of reading than being like, ah, six literal day, 24 (laughs) hour periods. And how can God, you know, um, how can there be, uh, you know, what is it, light before the sun? Right. Or seasons Mm. before growth, you know, Mm -hmm. like how does that all function? Because Mm -hmm. it's not meant to be read that way.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then here, here's the irony of this. I actually do believe that those days are six literal 24 hour days, but because we're talking about functional origins rather than ontological origins, it doesn't prescribe the age of the earth, for example. It leaves that to be an entirely open ended question, because if what you think is happening in Um, Genesis one is um, a functional assignment, right? It's more like uh, the grand opening of a restaurant, you know, than it is Mm -hmm. sort of the construction of the building of that restaurant, if that makes sense. That's, that's how I understand Genesis one, which leaves these questions Mm -hmm. that science um, addresses totally open. And I would say for the scientists to tell us, right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, I think what Walton's work does is it actually, Works within a number of different ways of understanding the natural world. it doesn't actually uh, prescribe that for us um, and I think that raises this issue of expertise, which I, I think we ought to talk about. I think evangelicals have a sometimes they have a concern, a leeriness about expertise you know there's this idea that mm-hmm. maybe the experts are going to lead us down the wrong path or something like this and um I think there's a uh humility that we need to have. We need to respect expertise. And I wonder, Seth, as our as our expert on, on this conversation, if you might okay. want to um, you know, talk about that 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 way that we kind of mistrust expertise or disvalue expertise yeah. and, and and why we ought to actually let the experts be experts.
2: Yeah. That's it. Uh, another very good question, a very relevant one as well at the moment. Um, in not not even just in science, uh, in other areas of life as well. I don't know if you uh, across the pond um, caught wind of this a few years ago, the beginning of the uh, or, or near the beginning of the Brexit negotiation or the, not the negotiations, the Brexit process. Hmm. Um, just after the, oh, was it just before the vote was done? I've forgotten. Um, there was a, a very well known in the UK interview with Michael Gove, who was on the in the cabinet at the time mm. and he said live on on television um the, the the country the the uk the public um is tired of experts uh, mm. tired of experts and their opinions and that that was quite scary for me especially as mm. someone who who is hoping one day after i get a phd you know to, to be an expert in some kind of science the, the question then becomes oh dear are people going to listen to right. to me when i have a phd in 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 science in physics uh are people going to listen to my colleagues and friends who also might have phds in perhaps much more um uh what's the word uh relevant maybe or or areas that are going to be more pertinent to people's lives medical science um for example climate science is
0: Mm, uh,
2: also at the moment like it's a, a a hot issue it's a um a thorny thorny question and if people are not listening to the experts mm-hmm. on science oh gosh what's gonna happen to the world what, what's gonna happen to us and mm-hmm. so yeah i think this is a, a very important question to be thinking about of us at the moment um definitely also as christians mm. um how i guess the question is christians is how do we as christians uh listen to even if even if we come across ideas that we don't quite like the sound of at first sight or something or um well, yeah on the more evangelical side of things if if science if, if what scientists are telling me is something that oh makes me feel a bit uh, iffy about how it relates to my faith how do we engage with that that's not just going i'm fed up of experts i don't i don't like experts anymore Um, i'm not gonna listen to their opinions yeah i think
0: i think it's often rooted in a kind of anti-intellectualism more broadly you know i i can remember seeing posters at my school of you know sort of quote-unquote like academics intellectuals you know dressed up they've got ties and bow ties and glasses and they look really sharp and smart but they're like um it's like this kind of mockery of the expertise, mm. and so it so like the, the, it'd be this you know kind of like slogan at the top about like you know you know, re- you know, read your Bible, uh, you know, and there's like a just, you know, some, some kid like sitting there reading a Bible and then there's all these quote unquote experts who like look sharp, but they're, it, it's, it's a mockery. It's a lampoon of, of expertise, you know, like don't listen to these people mm-hmm. is really kind of like propaganda to be honest, yeah. but it's like, yeah. like, like, don't listen to these people, Um, you know, read your Bible. And it, it creates this kind of solipsistic view of faith where it's just like, You know me and my Bible, and really the rest of the world, uh, including the natural world, uh, does not does not matter and and cannot really uh, be be connected uh, with it, Mm. and and it it creates this weird um, dichotomy that I that I think is really problematic. I really like the um, reformed way of thinking about. how God has two books and he has revealed himself in these two books. Mm. And, um, that, that's been a a really compelling thought for me.
1: I I remember growing up and we'd go on field trips to, um, uh, the discovery science center or, you know, some kind of museum. Um, and which was always so much fun. The the discovery science center in, in Orange County is this big cube on the, on the 55 freeway. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many like fun, fun things to do in there. But I, I just remember at, there is at many points, you know, you go to like the natural history museum or you go to these kind of things. and And obviously there are, you know, there are facts from scientists that don't really go with mm-hmm. a kind of, a certain style of Christianity and how they explain the world and the Bible and how we fit into it. So I just remember like, you're going through this with your teacher and you know, when you get back or maybe at the time like oh, you know, boys and girls, like there were some there were some things said there that weren't actually true. And I went to a, a particular school, it's like, you know, none of these people like have studied this, they haven't researched it. Hmm. You're going to a museum. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that is run by scientists you know run by these people who know what they're talking about and the kind of i mean not all not all teachers did this but i i remember at some point you know some of them are a bit like kind of prideful and, and cocky about it that they were mm-hmm. like oh they got this wrong you know they <laughs> actually did their research Interesting. and you're like and it, thinking back you're like oh you you put into mm-hmm. my brain my mind as a kid that that not only this like questioning like that's that's good but but almost like not you know disbelieving things uh you know you read about and and Mm -hmm. and not just you know seeking out the truth but like oh this kind of like almost like Mm -hmm. you know uh gnostic kind of Mm -hmm. like secret knowledge if only they had this secret knowledge then they would really know what's Mm -hmm. what's going on in the world
0: yeah. And this is what really concerns me about this conversation is I feel like we are setting people up to abandon the faith when we do this, right? Mm-hmm. Because what's going to happen is eventually people are going to be compelled by the scientific consensus on various topics. And they're going to think, wait, this doesn't add up to how I was taught to read the Bible or this doesn't add up to uh, what, what I was told Christianity teaches or something like this. And I think that is so unnecessary um, and so um, tragic. And I wish we had a more integrative holistic mm-hmm. approach to truth uh, and, and not one that is so bifurcated. And I do think that we um, have a pastoral impetus to um, have a, have a open uh, approach to this, I, I'm not necessarily advocating that everybody change their mind uh, and and come on board with the scientific consensus geologically, biologically, etc. Mm-hmm. I think the point that I really want to advocate for is that Christians ought to be able to have a kind of humility about approaching these issues and an openness to saying that reasonable Christians can understand the natural world and the text differently. And yet we can do life together, do ministry together, uh, all of these sorts of things. Mm. The problem that I have with a perspective like Answers in Genesis, which says this is the way to do it, is that, you are i think setting people up to say well if that's what the bible teaches and that's the only way to understand the bible then what do i do when i'm confronted with the veracity of you know geological evidence biological evidence etc well i guess i've got to ditch the bible right i think that's what yeah. happens and i think that's yeah. like i said unfortunate tragic unnecessary uh and problematic and i think we ought to advocate a posture of openness and Christian humility uh, on this topic.
2: Yeah, I completely agree.
0: So it seems like in the history of the church and its relationship with uh, scientific claims, it seems like you could kind of characterize a lot of the way that um, Christianity has addressed scientific questions is with what has often been labeled a kind of God of the gaps approach where there's Mm -hmm. some gap in our knowledge and that's where God stepped in. So we, we can't explain X, so we don't understand how this works. And so God explains that. And in recent, in recent uh, years, of course, with, with uh, advances in science, and these sorts of things, um, a lot of the kind of rationale for why, you know, um, scientists have sort of moved away from religious claims is because they see those gaps uh, sort of uh, lessened or, you know, Mm -hmm. collapsed such that there's no more room for God. And Mm -hmm. so how can we think about you know where where god fits in uh in the light of this sort of model of a god of the gaps i mean uh i'm i'm assuming that what we would want to say is that that's an illegitimate way of thinking about sort Mm. of god's relationship to science that god really only steps in when we can't explain something as opposed to seeing god over the gaps right as somebody who um is is god over all of it i mean i'm reminded of the psalms which you know talk about how you know god knit us together in our mother's womb well, we affirm this, right? And yet we also uh, can explain the, you know, maturation uh, process during a pregnancy with a lot more detail and a lot more, you know, scientific specifics and, and, and yet we can hold those together in a complementary way. And we can say that God is involved in this natural process and, and yet, um, you know, I think that's a good example because I think it shows how we're very capable of this uh, when it comes to something like a pregnancy. And yet we have a harder time when it relates to other matters within science. I don't know what you would want to say about this whole God of the gaps dynamic. Mm.
2: I think God is very offended to be called a God of the gaps. Mm. I think if if we as Christians or um, or scientists or both Understand our understanding of God is is that yeah, as you say, God is, God yeah, God explains the things that we don't know, and that's that's it. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think God rejects that my, in in my experience in my life, science and faith not being things in in conflict intention but instead being parallel uh, modes of understanding the world. Um, and in fact, I think in, in not even just parallel, I think they intertwine with each other. I think. Um, to to understand god as the giver of of the universe the creator of the universe um to understand uh that god even gives us science as well Uh, as in he he um implants in us the a desire to know how the world works to know him better to know the universe better to uh the the you know the, the wisdom and the intellect and the creativity to come up with the scientific method and and um science itself and i think that is a uh, again this this comes into conflict or well, it comes into conflict with the conflict narrative that we um we've spoken about um in that the conflict narrative will have you will, will tell you that no there, there can be no reconciliation between the between the two and for example before before the conflict narrative came into being uh every every christian scientist of which there were many for example, or even even just um, Newton, uh, Galileo himself was a Christian, um, Copernic, Copernicus, that's his name, yeah. Copernicus, going back for for a, a long, long time, all have, have had the opinion that um, their science and their faith uh, led them to understand things better together, both at the same time. Uh, if, I think we even see this scripturally, like um a uh, a, a Christian physics professor uh, that I know. Um, Tom Tom McLeish he, he works as a physics professor at York University now he was at Durham um, has written extensively on the Book of Job as uh, as a, a kind of like a, a scriptural understanding of um, ha- how or how we as humanity encounter science and discovery and understanding the world uh, in terms of um, I think in particularly in I think it's Job forty where God challenges Job to understand how the world works instead of Job, sorry, instead of God um cutting down Job and criticizing him. Instead he is in in Job's suffering, he he invites him to look at the universe, to understand how things are made, to investigate things more. Um I'd very much recommend people go and look at Tom McCluch's work. It's um it's very good on this kind of uh reconciliation between um people understanding of faith and science and and pushing away the conflict narrative mm. um and that i think is a is a a better way of thinking about god not a god of the gaps not a god who only patches over um increasingly tiny areas of our knowledge that we right, right. we don't understand in, in fact we will understand in the future instead god gives us the ability to uh, broaden our knowledge of the universe mm. um while being the source uh and creator of all life
0: right i, I like this uh, metaphor that um john lennox used once and maybe others have used it but i heard him say it where it's sort of like there are, there are two ways to explain why the water in the kettle is boiling right the one way mm-hmm. is like a very like you know chemicals or reaction with heat and these sorts of things and yeah. the other way to explain it is to say i want some tea you know and yeah. that that distinction of like you know, sort of the chemical, physical, scientific explanation alongside that purpose mm-hmm. explanation, I think is a really helpful way of thinking about this relationship between science and faith, such that we aren't trying to fit God in the gaps, but there's purpose, God's purpose that we can articulate. Um, um, and, and it's not just that we need to, you know, wait and see where we can't explain something and, oh, that was God. Uh, it's mm-hmm. all God, right? It's all it's all God's handiwork, right? Um and we don't need to wait for some uh, gap in our knowledge. And like you said, an in ever increasingly smaller and smaller as we learn more <laughs> yeah. about the world. Uh, and, and we don't want to see that as sort of boxing God out, um, but rather he he's, he's got over all of it. What we don't understand, what we will come to understand and what we've understood for ages.
2: Uh, I, we have been talking, um, just now about, uh, humility and expertise on the, on the Christian side, if you like. So, um, Brandon, your um, your illustration, your story about going to uh, your what was it? Your, your church leaders taking you to this science. Uh, it's like school, but I went to a Christian school. So. Yeah, sure, fine. Um, uh, I I would want definitely want to say that it happens in the other sense as well, vice versa. Hmm. Um, I I've had my fair share of uh, contact with conflict with you. You might say um, scientists and and particularly, uh, in fact, uh, postdocs. Um, professors who uh are not definitely not christians they're, they're certainly atheists um but but have is this is something to do with perhaps the arrogance of science in in our modern society um or this uh, in, in the western world we, we kind of raise science on a pedestal and maybe we can talk about that in a minute um but it leads to people uh who are scientists believing that they they know about and can know about and can be experts on uh for example the bible for example christian faith um and and so yeah i've had conflicts with certain people uh, long conversations um there's there's a reason for example that we become experts expertise is a good thing i really think expertise is a really good thing in, in lots of ways i mean sometimes it can lead to arrogance sure but there's a reason there's a reason that i wouldn't ask brandon to you know derive einstein's equations for me but, and the reason is that that's not his area of expertise um, in the same way i don't think i think it would be unreasonable to to assume your physics professor could uh justifiably explain the the uh, or, or translate the the first chapter of john to you from from the original greek uh there's a reason we've got the, like, experts who can do these things because these things are hard and require expertise um but yeah i i have encountered that people physicists scientists saying oh look your your beliefs are this that and the other because i'm a scientist and i understand the world mm-hmm. uh, and that that is perhaps the opposite of, of the or that that's expertise that leads to non-humility to arrogance perhaps you might say
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um seth Nick, could you just explain a bit more about um kind of the humility that you wish uh you know in, in science itself mm. that that's kind of built into the discipline uh maybe discuss more about you know the various you know when we talk when we think about science we usually think of this giant category and if you're an expert mm. in science then you know yep. everything about all of science but well, maybe you could just enlighten us about um no pun intended uh, <laughs> about uh you know all yeah, the various good. aspects of science you know what what do, you do and how is that different from, you know, what other people do?
2: Mm-hmm. I should start by saying that uh, I wish I had myself this humility that you speak of, Brandon, that uh, in, in lots of ways I don't, especially as a, uh, a scientist in the Western world where my discipline is, is so I mean so highly funded, for example, and so highly raised on a pedestal, as opposed to many others. Um, this now might be a good time to, for me to sort of define how I think what, the word science is what what science what does science mean what do we mean when we say the word science um and lots of people i guess will will think of science as knowing lots of things about uh um the world knowing lots of so if i'm a physicist you know how stars work and you know how uh to um you know if you're a chemist you know what oxygen is i mean hopefully we all know what oxygen is. um but you know th- this idea that as a scientist you know things and that is a that's, a that's an okay way of thinking about what science is lots of scientists know lots of good things um my supervisor for example knows lots, a lot about physical chemistry but science uh, the way i conceive of science is not about just knowing things it's um, particularly more of a uh, i explained a little bit at the beginning about how it's a way of discovering about the world. It's its not a, um, a set, a collection of tick boxes or a collection of things to mem- memorize. It is uh, um, a way of, a mode of understanding how the world works, investigating how the world works, particularly uh, using the scientific method. Sure, scientific, scientific method is a, it's a good thing. Um, can help you very quickly, very efi- efficiently understand things about the world, about the universe. Um, but also it's, it's uh, more even than that. It's, it's about a, um, an attitude to creation, attitude to the world, attitude to, uh, of, of creativity, of um, joy, rejoicing in the world around you, of uh, um, love, of loving things, loving how things work and understanding how, uh, how to, how to do things, how, how the universe itself does does things, how God himself does things in the universe. Um, And, and with that, kind of picture of science i don't if you, if you were to have that perfect picture of science and and internalize it i don't see how you couldn't have humility the, the world is an amazing incredible place and I, as a scientist myself i know only a very tiny sliver of it and even trying to understand it better i'm not very good at that yet i'm still learning how to you know design experiments run simulations mm-hmm. um uh the, the more uh, i think it's a, it's a common um perhaps overused phrase, the more you know about something, the, the the expertise you get in a particular subject, the more you know you don't know. Yes. And that's absolutely true with science uh, in, in ev- all of its forms. Um, certainly I found that in physics. The more I understand about physics, the less it, the, the more it seems is out there for me to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon, I think the other day you, you asked me something about carbon dating, for example. Um, carbon dating is a great thing. It's a really neat little concept. And I like explaining it but um carbon dating is it's kind of a physics thing but it, it, it also uh is a geology thing it's, it's to do with how how geologists understand the world how they figure out how old things are um and i am not a geologist so uh the best person to ask that question to is not me it's my brother my brother is a uh, has just finished his master's in geology um of course not the best in the world you know what i mean he's, he's a better person to ask than me he, he uh, in my, if I were humble about it, I would say, well, Brandon, go and ask my brother Finn about this concept that you're struggling with, you want to understand better. Um, and that I think is the, is the kind of humility that a perfect understanding of, uh, a perfect Christian understanding of science will give you. Like, You'll rejoice in knowing that, that there's things to be discovered, but you won't need to have it all on the place in front of you at once, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for, for the record, Seth and I are, are neighbors, oh, and yeah. we hang know. out quite often, uh, social distancing in these times, of and I, I, about once or twice a week, I have a really, really basic science question, and Seth uh, always says, oh, that's a good, that was a good question. You probably should have learned that, you know, in second grade, but <laughs> great question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I should add, though, that, um, as Brandon, you're not a scientist at all. You'd probably say that yourself, wouldn't you? Oh, amen. Uh, but, but, and this illustrates what I was just saying a second ago, uh, that science is not about knowing things. I think, I, I, every time I speak to Brandon about a scientific concept, I think Brandon would make a great scientist. Um, in fact, I think Brandon does make a great scientist because the questions he asks are... One really interesting, two really insightful, um, and and that is really all you need to be a scientist. Have have interesting, insightful questions to ask, and that's kind of you're most of the way there in being a scientist. So,
1: mm. well, uh, then speaking of questions, do you mind um, if I ask you a few?
2: Yeah, sure. Let's let's do it. Okay. Well, this
1: this I I guess when I, when we as John and I were kind of talking about our upbringings and our backgrounds, uh, I these are some of these like. I don't want to call them like fundamentalist questions, because I think they're really actually good questions, but typically you hear them. Uh, and so and these are the questions I had growing up that I was like, I just want a straight answer for this. At least not all of them, but some of them. Um so we'll just do like really quick, you know, give like a very brief one sentence, two sentences if you need one. You know, if you need Gosh, an extra okay. sentence. Yeah. Um and yeah, we'll just we'll just crack on. There oh, there's only a few of them. So all right. Um, so number one, uh, age of the earth. Uh, how old is it? And how do we know that you have one sentence?
2: Oh, let me think. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, one sentence could be, this is another geology question. So go and ask, <laughs> another. Um, but, but no, uh, Oh, I've forgotten the exact age. It's in the billions. It's around 4 billion years old. I think, um, that's something that, Oh, I've gone over my one sentence about 4 billion. Um,
1: all right. 4 billion. Got it. Yeah, About 4 billion. We'll, we'll quote you on that.
2: <laughs> we'll take a few million. Nope.
1: Uh, nope. No. Um, uh, climate change. Uh, how serious should we take it?
2: The, uh, coming at this question as a scientist who is in the scientific community and speaks, I'm not a climate scientist, but I speak to and am surrounded by scientists of all disciplines. Um, the consensus on climate change is that one, it is real and happening right now, uh, and we are to blame, uh, and two, it, it is uh, an apocalyptic level uh, situation um, that is not going to get better unless we act on it now. Uh, it is, yeah, it's, it's um, one of the greatest challenges facing humanity right now.
1: So we should take it very seriously. Yeah. Okay, cool um next evolution uh how does a dog get to a whale (laughs) (laughs) i saw that in a museum more recently and i thought i don't understand this i really don't
2: you saw a dog becoming a whale no no i didn't see a dog becoming
1: a whale it was like it was uh, i was in uh natural history museum and it was like a, a big whale and there was a little like posts a little sign that was like, Could you believe that this evolved from a dog? And I said, <laughs> No, I can't believe that. That's I amazing. don't I don't get that.
2: Yeah, whales oh. whales definitely did not come from dogs. That's <laughs> that uh, an obscene abuse of, of scientific knowledge. Um Yeah. <laughs> but evolution. evolution. Yeah. Um evolution. I call it evolution. You call it evolution, that's fine.
1: Um tomato, potato. I yeah exactly.
2: To... Um evolution uh, is I think a, a really uh beautiful kind of concept way of understanding the world it is a model like i talked earlier about models and the way scientists understand the world is by mo- oh this is not over a sentence but we understand yes. the world in models and we use evolution as a model for how um plants and animals and, and living organisms have come to be as they are um evolution happens through natural selection natural selection is uh, a logical necessity if we understand that um micro mutations of uh, of um living creatures cells occurs and we can observe that we you know we know that happens because what will happen is you have a big distribution of uh, not distribution a big um group of these living creatures they will each have uh because it's such a big group you know it could be millions of of individual animals or plants um, because they each have uh mutations in their cells every time they reproduce um the mutations that will lead to uh a better chance of survival and reproduction obviously that's going to be passed on to the next generation preferentially and so it's kind of a yeah a log- logical necessity that we have evolution if we accept these mutations which we can observe so evolution is great wonderful thing i think um, and does not con- contradict my faith in any way at all
1: great i should have made these questions yes or no <laughs> sorry um, but... apologies <laughs> about that. I, I got a bit long there didn't i <laughs> oh it's no it's it's fun to see someone or hear someone uh, so excited and passionate about, oh, what, about what they do. So, um, okay, the next one, uh, is the earth flat? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I'm always amazed when I go on the internet <laughs> and see that the internet actually has people that, but I'm convinced actually that the the flat earth webpage is um, an exercise in how far you can take a ridiculous idea and and, make people think that you actually believe the idea uh, no the earth is not flat the earth is um an oblong oblate spheroid it means it's basically spherical um all right and gravity the the, the concept of gravity which we all kind of accept in the universe uh, um again ne- necessitates that the earth be a sphere like in in a gravitational field uh, big objects will only ever form a sphere because that we, in physics we call it it um, minimizes the surface energy which is a fancy way of saying this is its most relaxed state of being if gravity exists you can't have big flat planes doesn't make sense
1: all right i will That's take my, your yeah. word for it okay <laughs> um did the u.s land on the moon in whatever
2: 1969
1: oh no 69 yeah yeah, yeah.
2: yeah i think it's 69 isn't it um yeah. do you believe I, that i think so uh this is oh, this is difficult it's less a science question, I guess. And I think I, I, uh, in general, don't like to believe conspiracy theories unless there's a good amount of evidence, of course. (laughs) Um, And I don't think there's... uh, Well, unsure. But yes, I think so.
1: Hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. Um, Maybe this is my... Oh, no, no. Okay, actually, I have this. So what is, like, one... One thing that you've learned in your time that just—it's mind-blowing—that you want to share with oh, everyone. Brilliant. something brilliant in, Something question, in science. Brilliant.
2: brilliant question. Except for the fact you said one thing, I'd—I'd I'd like to share four <laughs> or five if I could. Just one. Um, I think we're limited by time. Just one. Oh gosh. The, the the coolest thing I've learned. Um, actually, it's quite a simple concept. It's about entropy. Um, I guess there are other cool things I've learned about too, but entropy is really cool. Entropy is about. Um, how the evolution of the world at large, rather than just the evolution of organisms, entropy is about uh, what happens to things. Things tend, to, <laughs> scientific term there, things. Things tend to go from being um, ordered and, and structured to being less ordered and structured, so more spread out, the diffuse. Um, and this leads to a lots of very interesting kind of concepts in energy in in physics. So uh, you can explain a lot by invoking. The the laws of entropy and, and laws of thermodynamics, and that's something, yeah, really cool and relevant to my research. So,
1: okay, so my final uh speed round question is What is one physics question you would want God to answer? Like, mm. right, right now,
2: oh, can I say, uh, what's the answer to my PhD question, or is that a bit no, no that's, <laughs>
1: that's self serving,
2: yeah? Uh... Sure. Um, that. Uh, In physics, there's, I mean, I guess this is a bit cliche in physics, but in physics, there there are lots of modes of understanding the universe. So even in physics and theoretical physics, for example, you get lots of different ways of understanding how things work. Um, Einstein's theory of general relativity, really cool, amazing. And there's uh, another way of understanding the world, um, very different, which is to do with particle physics. And uh, you might have heard things like string theory, the term string theory being chucked around. Uh, Nobody knows what string theory means. So, Um, but I would guess I would say, god how do how, how do uh, einstein's general relativity and this uh, string theory particle theory um understanding of the world how do they combine how do they mix together uh, in a coherent way what is the ultimate theory of the universe you might say as a as a really um interesting physicist <laughs>
1: isn't the answer 42
2: of course <laughs> of course <laughs>
0: Well said thanks for enduring those questions from Brandon just <laughs> just, just now and 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 thank you so pleasure. much <laughs> and thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and and helping helping us and our listeners think more about the relationship between science and faith and um, you know not having this posture of antagonism as we as we do so but but thinking more holistically Mm -hmm. and appreciate um, the opportunity to hear from you as somebody who does this on a daily basis and i think that's a really helpful uh, thing for us to um, uh, to listen to to hear from and i appreciate you being uh, part of this episode with us
2: thank you very much for having me it's my pleasure to be with you
1: yeah thanks seth
0: like more engagement of theology, culture, and discipleship from the Two Cities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. If you like the content that we put out here on the Two Cities podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.